The VPM Daily Newscast is sponsored by Kanawa Capital Management. Your financial life is unique, complex, and dynamic. Kanawa Capital Management's team of credentialed professionals has been helping its clients build wealth and confidence through personalized planning and informed investing since 1989. Learn more at cancap.com. That's K-A-N-C-A-P.com. I'm Yasmin Jama. This is the VPM Daily Newscast. After taking the statue of Stonewall Jackson off its pedestal, the city of Richmond moved forward with removing three more Confederate monuments on Thursday. As Patrick Larson reports, one memorial was of a lesser-known Confederate leader. A small crowd cheered this morning as the statue of Matthew Fontaine Maury was lowered onto a truck and driven away. Maury left the U.S. Navy to join the Confederacy. When the statue was unveiled on Monument Avenue in 1929, he was lauded for his contributions to oceanography. But many historians now say that intentionally overshadows his wartime efforts. During the Civil War, Maury spent much of his time overseas, raising support and acquiring weapons for the Confederacy. Maury was buried at Hollywood Cemetery, which is also the final resting place of dozens of Confederate leaders. Patrick Larson, VPM News. Richmond Mayor LeVar Stoney says the removal of Confederate symbolism will go beyond just the statues along Monument Avenue. Speaking to reporters Thursday, Stoney says the Confederate Soldiers and Sailors Monument on Libby Hill and Cannon's Place throughout the city are also on the list to be removed. They were statues to bigotry, division, hate, oppression, you name it. And that's not who we are as a city anymore. Right? Once we remove the remaining monuments, we can officially say that we were the former capital of Confederacy. This is live stream audio from NBC 12. Stoney says he's using his authority under the current state of emergency to take down the monuments for public safety reasons. Over the last month, protesters have toppled five statues in Richmond. A lawsuit filed by gun rights advocates to block the implementation of Virginia's new universal background check law was heard in court today. As of Wednesday, a background check is required for all gun sales, including those bought from an unlicensed dealer. Gun safety advocates say the law closes a loophole that has allowed people who are legally disqualified from purchasing a gun to access them at gun shows. Opponents of the law say it violates their Second Amendment right because it restricts their ability to purchase firearms. Lynchburg Circuit Court Judge F. Patrick Yates said he'll issue an opinion shortly. A new law that took effect this week decriminalizes possession of a small amount of marijuana. But as Ben Pavier reports, some advocates say it's time to remove all penalties, which disproportionately impact Virginia's black population. Black Virginians make up about 20 percent of the state's population, but they accounted for around half of Virginia's marijuana possession arrests between 2007 and 2016. A new state law reduces penalties for possession to a $25 civil fine. But Democratic delegate and gubernatorial candidate Jennifer Carroll Foy says it will still show up in court records. If we're really talking about having a fair and equitable criminal justice system, then we start by legalizing marijuana. By that, she means eliminating all possession-related penalties for up to half an ounce. Carol Foy's bill failed earlier this year, but she plans on introducing it again in an upcoming special session. In the meantime, the legislature's research arm, JLARC, will study how Virginia might fully legalize marijuana, including the sale of cannabis for recreational use. Ben Pavier, VPM News. Advocates and civil rights groups were calling for police reform almost two decades ago. 
the same year that former interim police chief William Jody Blackwell shot and killed a 26-year-old black man while looking for a robbery suspect in Richmond. Whitney Evans reports. The city council declined calls to create a citizen's review board for the police department in 2002 following the five deadly officer-involved shootings. Richmond's homicide rate the decade before was among the highest in the nation for mid-sized cities. VPM spoke to two former city council members who said the community was more focused on curbing the murder rate than police accountability. Former Councilman Manoli Lupasi said he was against the idea of a review board. We're now 15, 20 years later, 18 years later. And I have a different opinion. I totally have a different opinion. But that wasn't the only lost opportunity the city had to heed calls for accountability. The police chief at the time announced an independent third-party review into his officer's use of force. That study was called off on the advice of the city attorney after they'd already lined up a firm to conduct the review. Whitney Evans, VPM News. One place that's expected to have a lot of activity this 4th of July weekend is the Virginia Capitol Trail. The 52-mile trail stretches from downtown Richmond to Williamsburg. The trail's executive director, Kat Anthony, says since March, she's seen double-digit increases of walkers, runners, rollerbladers, and bikers. So in March, we saw a 65% increase in in ridership. April, we saw a 46% increase. And this past May, we saw a 77% increase. Anthony says June showed the same increase. And by the end of the year, they hope to hit over 1 million users. Most of the state entered phase three of reopening this week, and experts are still advising people to practice social distancing while exercising outside. A recently released federal report found numerous failures in how the Virginia Department of Education monitors and responds to complaints. VPM reporters Megan Pauley and Ian Stewart sat down virtually to talk about it. Ian, last week, VDOE received a report from the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Special Education Programs, also known as OSEP. Can you tell us what was in the report? Sure. In a nutshell, OSEP found a lot of problems when families or advocates try to raise concerns about the special education system. There's a formal complaint process, but the report alleges the state sometimes ignores credible allegations. There are a number of other issues, too. The report says hardly any on-site monitoring visits are being done by the state, only around six districts per year out of 130 school divisions in Virginia. Also, some districts weren't paying for the outside evaluations that determine student disabilities and what services they might need. All this info is in a 17-page letter released last Friday. It came over a year after federal officials spent two days interviewing various state VDOE staff. And federal officials did the investigation in the first place because they received an unusually high number of complaints about VDOE. We don't know the exact number because the U.S. Department of Education requires a public records request to get that information. But a representative told us that the volume and nature of issues warranted looking into. And while the report doesn't name names or districts, it does detail a few specific complaints. Ian, federal officials found that in one of the cases, the state had actually informed a parent that they would no longer accept complaints from them, right? That's right, Megan. Federal officials found that the parent communicated with the state quite often. In reviewing emails dating back to 2018, they found this parent had filed at least two written state complaints alleging violations of the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, also called IDEA. That's the federal law that mandates schools provide services to kids with disabilities. The state is legally mandated to respond to any complaints within 60 days. VDOE also needs to issue a written decision on 
on the complaint after investigating it. The report found the state often isn't doing that. So what happened with this parent's complaints? Well, according to the report, after receiving no response from the state, the parent refiled the same complaints several times to the state, alleging noncompliance with IDEA requirements. And OSEP says they couldn't find any response from the state to the parent. Okay, so Ian, how has the Virginia Department of Education responded to the report? They were actually able to see a draft of the letter prior to its release, and they responded in a rebuttal letter saying that, quote, OSEP has provided only vague information that leaves VDOE responding to matters without the benefit of context. VDOE also argues that there are different types of complaints as defined by the Individuals with Disabilities Act. The agency writes that some of the complaints OSEP identified are considered insufficient in terms of official complaints. In the end, VDOE basically argues that they do follow all necessary federal guidelines, but they still have to submit documentation in 90 days demonstrating that they're complying with changes federal officials have said are necessary. Got it. Thanks so much for the update, Ian. Sure, no problem. And we're continuing to follow these important issues. If you're a parent of a child with special needs and have filed a complaint, formal or informal, with VDOE, we want to hear from you. Send us an email at newstip at vpm.org or message us on social media at myvpm. You can find all the stories you heard at vpm.org news. This has been the Daily VPM Newscast. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.